Hey, podcast fans, this is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber. And first, something that I'm thrilled is becoming common occurrence for us, we have a Patreon shout out. So thank you, Dave, for your support and for bringing us that much closer to 100 patrons. Anna and I have already started designing the special 100 patron gift that'll go out to everyone when we hit that mark. And boy, is it something. (laughs) Sure is. And if you want to join the fun and get bonus monthly content, head on over to patreon.com slash the dirt podcast to learn about all our tiers, bonuses, and what we use that funding for. It all goes back into production of the show and support of archaeology in one way or another. Yeah. But for now, do you remember how we did a series way back when? Back in 2019, we did a series of episodes on the basics of human evolution, the progression of species that makes up our lineage. And then we dusted off our hands, congratulated each other on a job well done. You told me that I knew everything I needed to know about evolution and nothing else was going to happen. And then we just like checked it off, checked the box, done, 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 done. (laughs) I don't don't remember it quite that way. Well, that's because we didn't. Yeah. I mean, we, we did do the episodes. We did those. Mm-hmm. They're on the dirtpod.com, episodes 29, 30, and 31, back on SoundCloud. But even I knew that that wouldn't be the final word on our evolutionary story. Nope. It was just a comma, not a period. A semicolon, even. I may have been an M dash. Yeah. I mean, whatever your punctuation mark of choice, there's still plenty of research going on in human evolution in various parts of the world. And since that last set of episodes, there have been some major finds of the hominin variety. So this week, we're going to introduce you to a whole pile of new old human relatives that have come to light in the past two years. If you haven't listened to those older episodes, you might want to do that first. We'll go through a super quick refresher here, but for lots more detail and interesting stuff, plus a whole segment on human butt evolution, past Anna and past Amber have you covered. But present Amber, will you please treat us to some heavily abridged human evolution? So the human family tree or vine or weird spiky wig, (laughs) wig, spiky wig, Wade. Um, and so that starts off at about two to three million years ago in southern and eastern Africa with the Australopithecus genus, who were hairy, roughly chimp sized and had brains about the third of the size of ours. Um, but they did walk on two legs, just like we do, just mm-hmm. like we do. I don't know. I read that like an alien. Um, <laughs> Just like we do. So there were a few different species of Australopithecus. And from one of those species evolved the first member of our genus, Homo. Homo habilis, who appeared between 2.4 and 1.4 million years ago. The name translates to handyman, uh, since this is the first species definitively linked to the manufacture and use of stone tools. 
Yeah, that said, though, there's a bit of evidence for Australopiths using stone tools. There are cut marks on bone from a time period when it would have had to have been Australopiths, so too early for Homo habilis. But there aren't actually stone tools present where the cut marks are, and there's nothing I'm aware of that definitely places stone tools in Australopith hands. So Okay, so we've not found them associated with them, but we found them at a time where there couldn't have been anyone else Yeah, that we know of yet. Exactly, yes. Okay. Um, so after Homo habilis, we've got Homo erectus, who's just evolving and bopping around Africa, uh, mostly in the eastern and southern regions. By this point, evolutionary anthropologists suspect that humans may have lost most of our body hair. I mean, to the extent that we have it today. Some of us have more than others. Yeah. But we all have much less than other living primates. You know, um, it's actually about... When I was uh, researching this, I came across an article. It's about the same amount of hair, like in terms of the existing number of follicles, but right, the individual yeah. hairs are are uh, coarser on extant primates. Isn't that yeah. wild? We've got we've got fine baby hairs, baby hairs, yeah, but not baby hairs. Yeah, let's make but the like distinction the, like, between wait, no, not even like baby hairs, like that you set, like. If you, one were to set their edges, I'm saying like baby hairs, like the, like the corn silk on, on mm-hmm. fetuses. Little babies. Yeah. That Little has babies. a name that I can't call to mind right I now. I can't think of it either. That's what I've been vamping this whole time trying to think of the name. But anyway, we also evolved the ability to sweat all over our bodies. Thanks evolution. Like I'm doing right now. <laughs> yeah, me too. Very sweaty. So Homo erectus is also the first species that conforms to the modern human body shape. I thought it was going to be like um, standards. I thought it was going to be like modern standards. And I was like, oh, no. Conforms to modern Um, standards of body. No, 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 no. no. I'm not trying to make that kind of statement. No, it's just that we have arms that are shorter than our legs. Yeah. So we've got longer legs than arms. We've got a larger brain size. um, But sorry, Homo erectus. Homo erectus has longer legs and arms, larger brain size, but still not as large as ours, our big Mm -hmm. beefy brains, Mm -hmm. Um, and also the ability to run long distances. So Homo erectus is the first human species to migrate out of Africa. And because of this, things get complicated. Yay. When you see see populations of this species outside of Africa, they're given the name Homo erectus. When you see this same species in Africa, they're known as Homo ergaster. So one of the biggest reasons for this separation is the huge length of time that Homo erectus and Homo ergaster are around. So they're around from about 1.9 million years ago to 110,000 years ago. So there is a lot of time for variation to occur based on time and geography, which is like, oh no, it's already starting, Anna. I know. I'm already thinking about the deep time and just how you can like be somewhere so long that Your species changes. Yeah. So that's really the key to how evolution works if you vastly oversimplify it. So it's an accumulation of different traits and features over time and generations. And so when populations are separated from each other by time and geography, you get gradual variation as random genetic mutations occur and either are passed on or not. And so that happens over lots and lots of generations until eventually the species are so different from each other that they can no longer interbreed. And so that's hugely oversimplified uh, as a version of how speciation works. So the, the 
evolution mm-hmm. of new species. But the point is that when Homo erectus leaves Africa, you get very widespread populations that are still similar enough to be grouped with the African Homo ergaster population. So they could come back, get back together and interbreed. But different enough in terms of how they look because of how far away and isolated they are from that initial population. And so they're given typically that different taxonomic name. The biological definition of species is really, really difficult to reconcile with how our knowledge of human evolutionary pathways is developing. And so shameless self-plug, I recently did a video over on the wonderful Stefan Milosevic YouTube channel where we talk about exactly this. And so he it was, does. It was really good. Thank you. I mean, I take no credit. I just showed up and offered my two cents. Um, <laughs> I almost very rudely was like, oh, it wasn't wasn't giving you credit. <laughs> yeah. No, all credit. No, 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 no that's you, correct. You, no, you were very, yeah. Like he, he is great and his work is great. And you were a great interlocutor with him. Oh, thank you. Um, but he's very fun. Yeah. His channel is so great. And I, Stefan, I'm so sorry if I pronounced your last name wrong, um, but he does an amazing job of breaking it all down. And so we'll have his channel linked in the show notes if you want to watch that or any of his other excellent videos where I'm not there and the videos are still great. So <laughs> what does that tell you? So <laughs> it tells us something. Mm. Uh, so back to the family shrubbery. Yeah. Um, so now that so I've been thinking, I'm thinking about it as kudzu. Well, yeah, we we are. No, okay. We, so we I don't want to. Maybe I. Kudzu. I don't want to call us a kudzu because that makes me sound like an echo fascist. But I'm thinking of us as kudzu. We, we are. The I mean, it's just plate. a very. It's just we're just a very rapidly colonizing species. We, we can thrive in new environments. We sure can. And boy, howdy, do we. So now that humans have left Africa, we've got populations evolving. In other places. That That's what Africa. happens. <laughs> so great. I'm with you so far, Anna. Come on. No, I, I, so, you did a great job learning this the first time. We're just refreshing. Thank you. <laughs> In Europe, we've got Homo heidelbergensis and an adjacent species called Homo antecessor. So both of these species have at one time or another been thought to have been the last common ancestor between us and Neanderthals about 600,000 years ago. But now it's looking like it might be a different population altogether. Yeah. And one that we don't know about. Just, we just don't know. Yeah. (sighs) Remember we are oversimplifying this. Sure are. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, So Neanderthals evolved in Europe as Homo sapiens populations evolved in Africa from an earlier population that had split and migrated. Then between 100,000 and 70,000 years ago, give or take, populations of Homo sapiens started leaving Africa and occupying other other continents, not other other like (laughs) like just the the other 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 white meat. What? (laughs) Oh, no. Um, We know that there was some interbreeding at various points between humans, Neanderthals, and our other close cousins, the Denisovans, as Anna has stated for me. I mean, you could say Denisovans. Um, I was just trying to... Denisovans. I did (laughs) say emphasis on me. Yeah, I did did say that. You put in all caps. So the Denisovans. Mm -hmm. Um, More on them in a little bit. I learned about them from the video you did with Stefan. Great. Great. (laughs) You're happy for me, I know. So these populations, all different types of human, bopped around the Paleolithic landscape together for a few thousand years, but gradually, Homo sapiens overtook all the other hominin populations. Does that imply agency that, like, we 
No, it just means we that it happened. Them. No, we just, no, we it just, just means that it outlived. happened. Yes. Uh, for various reasons, which I'm actually working on a piece about oh. that. So, uh, hey, yeah. Stay gosh. Tuned. Well, I will. So, um, but whatever happened, it left us as the last extant member of our genus, which is where we are today. Us with our fine, fine hair. That was a whirlwind tour, but now we're equipped to learn more about the new members of the family. Good grief. Or genus, as it happens. It's not a family, it's a genus. But let's have an ad. And then, <laughs> sorry, I'm just like already tired. And then we'll talk about the Denisovans. It's Chris Webster again. If you haven't checked out our new parent website, culturomedia.com, then please do. Culturo is spelled K-U-L-T-U-R-O, and it's where we promote all of our live events. We've got one coming up in November. Check it out over at Culturo when it gets posted. If it's already happened and you're hearing this, then as a member, you can go to your member pages and see the event recording. Our live events are always free, but you have to show up during the event to see it. So that's culturomedia.com for all our live events and more. Culturomedia.com. Chris Webster here, founder of the APN and host of several shows. I just wanted to let you know about our membership program and what it offers. Members of the APN get, for just $7.99 a month or cheaper if you pay for the year, ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to me on the breaks, membership in our Slack team so you can continue the conversation with hosts and other members, and exclusive access to any of our live event recordings. Live events are always free, but you only get to watch the recording if you're a member. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info and to become a member. Our podcasts are always free, but this is just a little something extra and it really helps us out. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. We're back. And if you've made your way through the whole podcast catalog, uh, wow, and thank you, you may remember that we did do You're it. welcome. <laughs> Well, I, I have made it through did. the whole podcast catalog. <laughs> Somehow, we're still here. Uh, <laughs> so you may remember that we did do an episode on the Denisovans, <laughs> which is number 45. If you haven't caught oh, that one. Oh, we did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and it was literally titled, like, what's going on with these Denisovans? <laughs> yeah. It was a very short episode because the discovery of <laughs> the species and the publication of that discovery was still relatively recent, and there wasn't a whole lot of available information, hence the title. <laughs> The population is still fairly enigmatic because there aren't many specimens available for analysis. So you might notice that I'm avoiding calling them a species, and that's because there still isn't consensus about whether Denisovans were, in fact, a distinct species. It's tough to determine that kind of thing when you only have a few bone fragments and a couple of teeth to work with. So these are specimens, not species. Yes, specimens that so, are from individuals but, within a population. Oh, but didn't but isn't it a specimen woman? Uh, one, the first one that we found. Well, the first one that I think the one that you're referring to is Denny, who was female and is a, a hybrid of a Neanderthal and Denisovan. Oh, that's what that is who I'm thinking of. Yeah, and, and then she went on to found a uh, diner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is uh, the Grand Slam Grand 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 Mother <laughs> of Denny's. Podcast comedy. <laughs> Our first introduction to the Denisovans came in 2010 with... Oh, I got one. I got one. Uh-huh. Hit me. Moons over my hominid. Okay. I'll allow it. So our first introduction to the Denisovans came in 2010 with genetic analysis of a tooth and tiny finger bone found in Denisova Cave 
in the Altai Mountains of Siberia. That's where the name comes from. The fossil record of these mysterious humans uh, remains extraordinarily sparse, still just little bits and pieces, but there was viable DNA for sequencing in the few remains we do have. It's probably mostly because of the climate up there. It's, everything is nicely refrigerated. Like cold and dry? Yeah, exactly. Mm, so the Denisovan... Nice. <laughs> it's so sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> the Denisovan genome has revealed that about 765,000 years ago, they shared a common ancestor with both Neanderthals and us, Homo sapiens. Once this ancestral population had split, our branch of the human family tree stayed in Africa, while the Neanderthal slash Denisovan one moved into Eurasia. By roughly 430,000 years ago, the Eurasian branch had itself split, ultimately giving rise to Neanderthals in Western Eurasia and Denisovans in the East. It isn't clear exactly why Denisovans and Neanderthals diverged, but there's a new research that suggests that as the Arctic ice sheet expanded southwards to the Black Sea, which we have climate data, we know that that happened, cutting Europe off from Asia, it divided the early humans into those eastern and western populations. But those splits weren't permanent, because as we know, after being separated for long enough to evolve distinctive characteristics, but not long enough to completely evolve into incompatible species, the populations met again and mixed it up. As a result, as Stefan says a couple times in his video, it was a Paleolithic boinkfest. <laughs> and as a result, 5% of the Denisovan genome lives on, not necessarily in the inhabitants of Siberia, but in people living thousands of kilometers away. And so as it turns out, as of August 23rd, 2021, hot Whoa. off, I know, it's a very recent article, hot off the PCR sequencing gel, very what? specific reference for... All our DNA heads out there. It's a population of indigenous Filipinos who have the highest percentage of Denisovan DNA of living human groups that really? we know of. Wait, that we know of. So like. Wow. What is PCR sequencing gel? I'm sorry to remind you that you do not share a show with Adam Rutherford. Yourself and, me, <laughs> and I don't know what this is. Well, let's see if I remember this from high school <laughs> biology. Uh, it's a gel through which you pass a an electrical current, I believe, and it separates the DNA out because of how it's charged. It like attracts certain segments towards it, towards the electrical charge, basically separates out chunks of the DNA so that you can then look at the different segments. So you can pull it out of the strawberry? Oh, no. Nope. 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 Thought that not one? It. Okay. Not that. Okay. Not that. <laughs> okay. Maybe for the show notes, I will find a link for like a wiki how for DNA sequencing. Yeah. If you could. Yeah, that I will. A wiki I will do how. That. It's like a cartoon <laughs> person, like mm -hmm. thinking like, and the thought bubble has like a DNA in it. Uh-huh. It's uh, the little Ikea okay. guy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So indigenous, indigenous populations of the Philippines. Yeah. So the researchers were originally interested in studying the human history of the Philippines, just in general. How'd people get yeah. there? When? Sure. As part of a massive collaborative effort with indigenous communities. Good. Local governments, the yeah. National Commission for Culture and the Arts of the Philippines, and researchers at Uppsala University, which is in Sweden, which, yeah, sure. Come on in, Sweden. <laughs> I don't know. Great. Yep. Cool. Interesting. Um, yeah. The researchers wanted to look at the amount of archaic human ancestry in the island populations of Southeastern Asia because it had been previously noted that some populations there had elevated levels. But again, we're talking tiny percentages of the, of the whole genome of archaic human DNA. 
Okay. Um, I want to make a note here. I'm going to be using, and I think we are going to be using throughout this script, terms like archaic and primitive. Really all that that has to do with is age of characteristics and sort of when they evolved in the overall human trajectory. There is no value judgment associated with those terms. Is archaic uh, and primitive are those synonymous or is archaic older than primitive? Is primitive older than archaic? Like, is this so, like relative dating of traits relative to one another over the course of human population? I think each of them is distinct, but they are used. My understanding is that they're used relatively synonymously. So, for example, if I say archaic homo sapiens, that is a term that roughly means genetically homo sapiens, but not having acquired all of the morphological or physical characteristics that we would recognize today as completely modern anatomically modern homo sapiens. So what an an archaic homo sapiens, um, would an archaic homo sapiens and an archaic homo neanderthalus be similar, more similar? Or no, it, it's are, just they've the, already speciated by that point. Yeah, they just haven't it's, hit their sort of like peak. Yeah, so for a single human form. population, archaic refers to the earlier end of the time spectrum for whatever that population is. Okay. Yeah, so archaic human and archaic okay. Neanderthal mean two different things. Um, and okay. an archaic, if you go back far enough, yes, archaic humans and archaic Neanderthals will be more closely related because they are closer to that long ago shared yeah. common ancestor. Also, just like some, if you could just do some like back of the envelope math for me. Oh, no. How many Neanderthals do we know in terms of like the, do you the, mean how many for the duration of, yeah, how, he, yes, not like who's in your phone um yeah let me check my little black book um Um, but oh no there are um uh, about 300 known specimens of neanderthals okay and how many um how many specimens of homo sapiens do we have all of them but i'm and speaking like especially to like archaic homo sapiens i I actually don't know i only know that 300 number because it's in stefan's video um i can find out and and we can post something about it yeah, I'm just trying to I'm trying to think about uh, sort of getting ready for an episode that's coming out mm. in a couple months. Um, I'm trying to I'm just trying to get a get my head around sort of do we see a ton of change? Do you see a ton of change from um, archaic uh, Homo Neanderthalus to the last Neanderthal by Claire Cameron? Uh, um, <laughs> Neanderthalensis. Neanderthalensis. Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, it's OK. Um, sorry s- to any Neanderthals listening. So if you're talking about Neanderthals, um Kind of, because so there are some major um, cranial characteristics, so stuff on the face and head that are really typical of Neanderthals. It's like the features that really denote you are looking at a Neanderthal. And if you look at archaic. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? Why is that funny? No, I just like you are. It just made me think of something in Peep Show where um, his boss talks about how he has this huge monitor and he's like, you pull a spreadsheet up on that and you are looking at you that are looking at that. Well, it's yeah. <laughs> so the Neanderthal is now on that monitor. I am looking at this Neanderthal. Yeah. And so there are characteristics that if you go back to kind of early Neanderthal populations, you will see. Okay individuals who have some of those features, but not all of them. But then when you get to later populations of Neanderthals, for the most part, 
all Neanderthals have these key features. So like the occipital bun, which is like the elongated back of the skull. They have this what's called mid-facial prognathism, which means kind of the front of the face sticks forward, but then the chin recedes. Mm. So Neanderthals don't have a prominent chin like we do. So things like that. So back to the Philippines. The researchers analyzed the genomes of 1,107 individuals belonging to 118 distinct ethnic groups in the Philippines, including Mm. 25 groups self-identifying as Negritos, who are regarded as the earliest modern human inhabitants of the Philippines, according to the study's authors. By comparing these genomes to Denisovan and Neanderthal genomes, they found that while the degree of Neanderthal ancestry was fairly uniform in their study population, so everybody had roughly the same amount of Neanderthal DNA, and that's comparable to modern humans in other parts of the world. So it's not, just in general, more elevated in the Philippines. It's roughly standard. The degree of Denisovan ancestry was highly variable and substantially higher among Negritos than in other groups. So... We've got evidence for Denisovan populations in Siberia and the Tibetan Plateau and evidence for at least population mixing with groups that ended up all the way down in the Philippines. So humans are mobile. That is that is what we can draw from that. Speaking of the Tibetan Plateau, I'll wrap up the Denisovans by mentioning that populations in Tibet today, so modern human populations, with some Denisovan DNA seem to have acquired genes from admixture, so getting together with Denisovans, that specifically influence the body's ability to process oxygen efficiently at high altitudes. So for that gene to exist in Denisovans in the first place, it suggests that at least a portion of the Denisovan population evolved in this area. So is Siberia slash the Tibetan Plateau the original place of evolution for the Denisovans? I don't know. But maybe it makes sense that some groups headed south. I hear Siberia and Tibet can get quite chilly. Well, then let's stay in some warmer climes then and meet another former resident of what is today the Philippines, Homo Luzonensis. Mm-hmm. Homo Luzonensis. Nailed so it. From national, thank you. So from National Geographic in 2019, they write, quote, The small-bodied hominin lived on the island of Luzon at least 50,000 to 67,000 years ago. The hominin, identified from a total of seven teeth and six small bones. That's all you get. Hosts a, <laughs> hosts a patchwork of ancient and more advanced features. Yeah. And so on a previous episode all about Homo floresiensis, which is also a very small hominin species from the island of Flores in what is today Indonesia. Um, This is a similar concept, and it's something called insular or island dwarfism, which is an evolutionary pattern where species that on uh, mainland environments where resources are not necessarily bounded, they're not necessarily restricted, um, Species would grow to a certain size, but in environments where resources are restricted, say an island with water all around it and no chance of getting off it to access more resources, those same species tend to evolve smaller because of the limited resources. So that phenomenon is likely responsible for the small size of both Homo floresiensis and Homo luzonensis. Hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. So decades ago, the story of Asia seemed far more straightforward if incomplete. Ain't that the way, though? (laughs) Sure, right? Like the... It do be like that. Just like college. (sighs) So, paleoanthropologists knew that archaic hominids such as Homo erectus ventured over land bridges into parts of what is now Indonesia nearly a million years ago. 
But further east, it was thought that these hominins ran into ocean currents considered impassable without boats. Just ran out into them. Yep. Let's try this. Nope. (laughs) Um, So Luzon seemed especially difficult for ancient hominins to reach, as it had never been connected to the mainland by land bridges. So archaeologists thought that digging into deeper, older layers of soil wouldn't yield much. When archaeologists first excavated Kayao Cave on Luzon in 2003, they found 25,000-year-old evidence of human activity. Um, but they didn't dig any deeper than about four feet. Down. Yeah, and this was Homo sapiens activity, to clarify. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but after the discovery of Homo floresiensis, the team realized there might be earlier evidence for populations on Luzon. And in 2007, they returned to Cayo Cave. The team excavated more than five feet of clay bef- below where th- <laughs> below where they had stopped digging in 2003, with no fossils in sight. But then they found a layer of breccia, breccia, a type of rock formed from a jumble of other materials. You know what would be fun is if yes. you made you know how you made me that delicious granola. Uh, yes. If, <laughs> if you made a version that was like a, a brittle and out of just like random stuff. Like tasty stuff, and you called that. Do you want me to make you a breccia? Kinda. Brecky breccia? Oh, breakfast breccia. All right. Well, oh. shout out to granola of the show, the low carb granola I made, Anna. It's really good. Um, it was good. <laughs> DM me for a recipe. Tantalizingly, just like that granola, mm. this layer contained fragments of bone that had washed into the cave long ago. No bone in that granola. You don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> got, it's got collagen and stuff, right? At first, the bones seemed to include only animals. What? Like the bones were only animals, not human. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. Just like short-circuited there. Just I was like, let your imagination run wild there. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, so animals like deer and pigs. Yeah. Not humans. Nope. But under closer inspection, one piece stood out. A nearly complete foot bone that looked human. But tiny. As luck would have it, excavations uncovered two more toe bones along with seven teeth, two finger bones, and part of a femur on return trips to Kayao Cave in 2011 and 2015. In all, the remains represent at least three individuals. The small fossil's curves and grooves reveal an unexpected mix of both ancient and more advanced traits. The teeth's small sizes and relatively (laughs) simple shapes, for example, for instance, point to a more modern individual. But one upper premolar has three roots, a trait found in fewer than 3% of modern humans. Usually there's two, in case you were wondering. What? Premolars, human premolars usually just have two roots. In case you were oh, wondering. Oh, unfortunately, I knew that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Sorry. You don't like teeth. Um, Sorry. Don't like them. Don't like them. And one foot bone resembles those of the ancient Australopithecines, a group that includes the famous human relative Lucy, who trekked across Africa roughly three million years ago. <laughs> Love to see a girl boss win. So which population crossed from the South Asian mainland and evolved on Luzon? Australopiths? Homo erectus? Somebody else? Uh, we don't, we don't know. Don't, don't ask us. We don't, mm. don't, don't ask us. And um, I guess don't ask anyone because yeah, nobody knows yet because <laughs> we don't know. But the discovery of this population means that there are some fascinating possibilities. Yeah. How'd they get there? Who were they? I don't know. What happened? I don't know. Well, if you're a homo luzonensis, write in. Yeah. 
Any homolucinensis. I'll give you my granola recipe. (laughs) I'm sure they love it with their little teeth. So, (laughs) moving from across the sea to under the ground, neither environment, uh, a favorite one for your beloved hosts. Our next human population was discovered at a site called Rising Star Cave in what is today South Africa. I'm quoting here from a piece in The New Scientist from 2017. Ahem. In 2013, Lee Berger, who, side note, is just a very prominent anthropologist and species discoverer, just Hmm. finding them left and right. Uh, And he's at the University of the Witwatersrand, the Witz, in Johannesburg, and his colleagues made an extraordinary discovery. Deep inside a South African cave system, they found thousands of bones belonging to a brand new species of early human. And yes, Amber, in case you're wondering, this is the cave where the excavators are all small ladies because the cave passages are very narrow. So oh God. excavating there oh seems God. like a nightmare. Oh, uh, thank God I wouldn't ever be able to. Yeah, I mean, very much tip of the hat to all of those uh, scientists working there because I could not. I thought it was going to be a tip of the hat to me for being fat. And I was like, well, thank you. I I love you how you are. By 2015, it was becoming clear that the new species, which was named Homo naledi, was unlike anything researchers had discovered before. Although parts of its skeleton looked identical to our modern human anatomy, it had some features that were strikingly primitive. Again, caveat about that term just refers to sort of a timeline of development, including a skull that was only slightly larger than that of a chimpanzee. So about a third the size of our skull, give or take. Wow. Uh, But Berger and his colleagues had trouble establishing how old the fossils were. Without that piece of information, most other researchers agreed that the true significance of Homo naledi for understanding human evolution was unclear. You can't put it in the, the human family tree if you don't know exactly when it was living. Guesses varied from as old as 2 million years to as young as 100,000 years. In 2017, though, Berger and his team revealed that the remains dated to between 300,000 and 200,000 years old. This is a big deal, especially because of certain traits that Homo naledi has. Small brain size, curved finger bones, and the form of the hip and shoulder joints are all characteristics typical of much older species, specifically ones who are still living at least partially in trees. Features to do with climbing. This means that a species of human with some surprisingly primitive features, including a tiny brain, I mean, a smallish brain compared to other populations, um, would have been around at the same time as as those humans, Homo sapiens, were around at 300,000 years ago. And so it's very possible that these populations existed in the same space. I don't know. Yeah. What would that have been like? Just meeting a little guy. Little guy. Oh, I just would have sat down and made that noise. <laughs> so, based purely on its anatomy, Homo naledi seems to belong somewhere near the very base of the true human family tree, which is an idea suggested in some studies of the fossils. But we know that the first early humans appeared more than 2 million years ago. So, if Homo naledi is just 300,000 years old, some researchers might argue that it can't belong to the base of our family tree. It's way too young. So maybe it even had a modern looking ancestor and then it evolved sort of in the other direction, primitive looking features. I want to say it it was retro. Well, so the idea of like devolving or like retrograde evolving, I know you're, you were making a joke about being retro, but I do want to say that that's not quite what was going on. It just may have been that the characteristics 
went in that direction. Right, right. Because like saying that like devolving implies that evolution is is like a linear, like yeah. linear towards it's a not, goal it or just something. Goes. It's not. It's just it's just adaptations yeah. that become that become like the norm for genetic material that's passed on. Yeah. And I do want to say here that the dating of the Homo naledi fossils was done. Um, so, I mean, th- these dates are published and some anthropologists agree with them, but it was done through uranium series dating. And there are some problems with that. Who's she? <laughs> uh, it's, so radiometric dating deals with the known rate of decay of certain uh, elements. So uranium is one of those elements and it decays. So you remember the whole discussion we had about half-lives and everything? Every every radioactive yes. <laughs> every radioactive <laughs> element has a different half-life. And so if we know that, we can sample uh, an artifact or human remains and know how many half-lives have passed and therefore how old the thing is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um uranium can be tricky. And so there are some questions about the reliability of those uranium series dates. So mild question mark there. But it is in fact still perfectly possible that Homo naledi really does belong somewhere near the base of our human evolutionary tree. The species might have evolved more than two million years ago and then survived, not really changed very much for hundreds of thousands of years. Who knows? Not me. So let's take another ad break and come back to our two last and most newly introduced relatives. This is Chris Webster with the APN. I'm also a project manager for several industries. I wouldn't be able to keep on track with really anything if it wasn't for Motion. With Motion, I just say what I need to do, how long I think it will take, what sort of priority I think it has, and Motion builds my day for me. It'll even build in breaks because, let's be honest, it's hard to remember to stop to eat lunch sometimes. So head over to arcpodnet.com motion for a free trial and a discount if you sign up. You'll kick back a small amount to the APN if you do. That's arcpodnet.com motion. Hey, fans of APN Podcasts, we've got lots of designs over at our Tee Public store. Every purchase helps out the APN with a few cents back to us. Check out the high-quality t-shirts, stickers, phone cases, coffee mugs, and a lot more. There are lots of colors to choose from in most of those items, and Tee Public often runs 30% discounts. So check out the store at arcpodnet.com shop. That's arcpodnet.com shop, and click on the link. All right, and we're back. Hi. More importantly, I'm back, back online in my own recording. Hopefully no one will know once I've I edited know. this that we've been I having. Don't know. I feel like there's going to be some like weird like, oh, you can't hear the refrigerator now. You can hear the refrigerator now. That's what I feel like is going to happen. I mean, for the listeners, a little peek behind the curtain, <laughs> uh, the Wi-Fi keeps cutting out. So that's fun. All right. Well, although we've not been going in chronological order here in terms of species age, we are going in in descending order of amount of available information. More or less. Yeah. So chances are we'll put out another episode sometime in the future about these last two discoveries because they're both quite new. Very like fresh, Mm -hmm. sexy. Mm. Mm. New blood. Mm. Not any. New in town. There's no blood. Um, There's no blood. Um, New bone. New bone just dropped. Uh, new bone just. <laughs> there's not a lot of inf- available information. Not yet. First, there's the specimen discovered at the site of Neshe Ramla in what is today Israel. 
The finds, published in June 2021 in the journal Science, consist of Allez, a partial science. skull. <laughs> Um, consists of a partial skull and jaw from an individual who lived between 140,000 and 120,000 years ago. The team members think the individual descended from an earlier species that may have spread out of the region hundreds of thousands of years ago and given rise to Neanderthals in Europe and their equivalents in Asia. So remember we said that we didn't know who that uh, ancestral population was? Uh, Yeah. Maybe? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm. The scientists have named the newly discovered lineage the Nesha-Ramla homotype. Um, so, so these are these are the ones that the Danny Vendramini's. No, <laughs> the Andertals. Get like, out of here, Danny Vendramini! You're not invited. <laughs> uh, for new listeners, see our Bigfoot episode from a couple Spooktober's ago. It was ago. our cryptoanthropology episode from last year. We it met Bigfeets. We met Danny Vendramini. So, um, but one more time for the people in the back. It's really, really tough to designate a whole species based on fragments of a single individual. (laughs) So so we're going to be tweeting. I don't know who needs to hear this, but it's really tough to designate a whole species based on fragments of a single individual. What if it was just a really weird looking individual? Nevertheless... Dr. Gila May of Tel Aviv University said the discovery reshaped the story of human evolution, particularly our picture of how the Neanderthals emerged. The general picture of Neanderthal evolution had in the past been linked closely with Europe. That's what she a said. Note- and I didn't mean that in a, <laughs> I didn't mean that in a, that's what she said way. I just meant this is what Dr. Gila May said in this article. Oh, no. A note, though, because that's not strictly accurate. It may be so for the general public, but if you're studying the Paleolithic, you know that there were groups of Neanderthals in the Levant. I feel like they don't get talked about very much, but there were definitely Neanderthals just hanging out in the Levant eating delicious pistachios. Anna. Yes. Danny Ventramini talks about the Neanderthals in the Levant. Yeah, but also... Eating delicious humans. Yeah, but also reputable scholars talk about it. (laughs) mad at him. (laughs) Dr. May suggests that during interglacial periods, waves of humans, the Nesha-Ramla people, migrated from southwestern Asia to Europe. The team thinks that early members of the Nesha-Ramla homo group were already present in the region some 400,000 years ago. The researchers have noticed resemblances between the new finds and ancient pre-Neanderthal groups in Europe. Yeah, so that's what I was talking about, those sort of very early, not quite Exhibiting all the Neanderthal characteristics yet? Okay. That population. Okay. Yeah. Neanderthal rising. <laughs> the researchers base their claims on similarities and features between the Israeli fossils and those found in Europe and Asia. Though their assertion is controversial, the Nesha-Ramla remains themselves were found in what used to be a sinkhole, located <laughs> in an area frequented by prehistoric humans. This may have been an area where they hunted for wild cattle, horses, and deer, as indicated by the thousands of stone tools and bones, um, the bones of hunted animals. These stone tools are especially interesting, since they're of a type normally associated with Homo sapiens and not Neanderthals. To the research team, this suggests that there was interaction between the two populations, with each group learning from the other. Yeah. Um, So, quick excerpt from the science paper abstract. 
Quote, Nesha Ramlahoma was an efficient hunter of large and small game, used wood for fuel, cooked or roasted meat, and maintained fires. These findings provide archaeological support for cultural interactions between different human lineages during the Middle Paleolithic, suggesting that admixture between the Middle Pleistocene Homo and Homo sapiens had already occurred by this time. End quote. Yeah, so I, what they're saying there seems to be that Homo sapiens populations are the only ones doing these things, and then they're transmitting that behavior to other groups. And I don't necessarily, if that's what they're saying, that's not really an accurate picture of of what's going on because there were definitely earlier populations who used fire and, and did things that humans also do. So mm, mm, is the noise I make there. Mm. So finally mm. our last new guy and maybe the most enigmatic comes to us from China. In 1933, a mysterious fossil skull was discovered near Harbin city in the Heilongjiang province of Northeastern China. The man who unearthed it reportedly hid it in a well, only revealing its location on his deathbed. It was recovered after, like, the information was passed down from grandchild to grandchild, I guess. Uh, It was recovered in 2018 and has now been analyzed for the first time. Despite being nearly perfectly preserved with square eye sockets, I mean, they're roughly square. It's not like someone drew them in Microsoft Paint. It was like squamous. Uh... Yeah. Uh, Sorry, you (laughs) threw me off with that word. Um, uh, The skull also had thick brow ridges and large teeth, but nobody could work out exactly what it was. The skull is much bigger than that of Homo sapiens and other human species, and its brain size is similar to that of our own species, so that the bone itself of the skull is chonke. Dubbed Homo longi, which the, the species name of which can be translated as Dragon River, it's named after the province in which it was found. The identification of the skull, thought to have come from a roughly 50-year-old male, was partly based on chemical analysis of sediments trapped inside it. So, skull dirt! This confirmed it comes from the upper part of the Wangshan rock formation near Harbin City. The formation was reliably dated to the Middle Pleistocene, 125,000 to about 800,000 years ago. Uranium series dating, which involves, again, using the known rate of decay of radioactive uranium atoms in a sample to work out its age, showed that the fossil itself is at least 146,000 years old. Okay, so he's called Dragon Man because of... Homo longi. Longi, yeah. Um, yep. I'm going to be honest. I'm a little disappointed because I thought he was like an alternative lifestyle guy. No, I don't know mm-hmm. how he himself identified. No information about that. Okay. Yeah. The Harbin. Okay. T- but that helps explain why. Yeah. Dragon Man. It's not the- as interesting okay. as you might imagine. Uh, Sorry. It's your fault for having such a, a rich I know. imagination. It is the cross I must bear. Mm. The Harbin research team generated a family tree, which in fancy academic speak is a phylogeny, of human lineages to work out how the species relates to modern humans. This tree is based on morphological data, as in, what shape is that face? From 95... (laughs) (laughs) A game I love to play. But, okay. Yes. But not... So what shape is that face, but not and in cranium. the, like, yeah, but phrenology, no, like, no, 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 not in, like, type of no, nope, not in, like, what were their psychological traits and racial characteristics. My, that is not a not thing. Not my boy Carlton S. Kuhn. Nope, not him. Another guy <laughs> who makes me mad. Um, no, this is actual measurable 
okay. features of the skull that can just be, they don't, it's, they're not so doing just it just straight s- up measuring, yeah. not doing value judgments. Exactly. Or sort of- Thank you. Okay. As I sputter okay. in indignation. <laughs> <laughs> I've been reading some Carlton Kuhn, so I. Mm. Great mustache. My, terrible guy. My- <laughs> so this phylogeny is based on data from 95 largely complete fossil specimens of different hominin species living during the middle Pleistocene, including Homo erectus, Homo neanderthalensis, Homo heidelbergensis, and Homo sapiens, along with known ages, which is very important. Uh, Ages of the specimen, not necessarily what age the individual was. The tree also suggests that five previously unidentified fossils from northeastern China are from Homo longi, so this is a species question mark, maybe. The phylogenetic model, so they did some some data modeling, predicts that the common ancestor of Homo longi and Homo sapiens lived approximately 950,000 years ago, a while back. Furthermore... So, I'm sorry, I have a question. Yes. Okay, so talking about the five previously unidentified fossils Mm -hmm. a couple minutes ago Mm -hmm. um, that were used in this phylogeny. So those were ones that had just been excavated... Or they have found, yeah, they have like, been, and, and they were just like, oh, I don't know what that guy's deal is, yeah, exactly. And then they were like, wait, I think I found out that guy's deal. Mm-hmm. It's a different type of guy. It's so Leonardo DiCaprio what? pointing to the TV screen and going, "It's that one. It me." <laughs> it's like me with that that <laughs> like the legged fossil whale, whale. <laughs> fossil stubby whale. Yeah. So, so for listeners who aren't in the like text chain between me and Anna, uh, you're welcome. When Anna told me about, no one should be in there. Anna, when Anna told me about this, I, like I shared that my first impression, my my first response to seeing that news story was to like do the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme because I just felt like you I, felt I, a I felt deep so represented. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> just okay. like it's me. And the thing that we're talking about um, is the fossil of a sort of proto whale that was recently discovered in a desert in Egypt. In Egypt. Egypt, yeah. It was in Egypt, yeah. It's got basically the shape of a whale, but with little stubby legs. It's like a little whale hippo. That's so resonant. It's just awfully cute. I mean, I know I shouldn't infantilize um, whole species, but gosh, little legs. (laughs) It's like a corgi whale. <laughs> the, the proto whale won't hear you, but your friends who are proto whales will. Yeah. Um, okay. But following off of my question about those five unidentified fossils. Yes. Are there just unidentified fossils hanging out like in collections and in archives where we're like, we'll get back to that one? I mean, that that can be the case or it can be that it was previously designated as something else. Or okay. like this is maybe Homo sapiens question mark for example. Okay. Yeah. So like this is different from what we usually see. So maybe it's something else, but also maybe it's just an individual who's weird looking. Okay. Yeah. And so okay, it could it could be that these hadn't been identified yet, or that they had been placed in one group when and then reexamined to be like, oh, looks like this guy. Wow. Yeah. This is why you should always reexamine data. Go back into the museum okay. collections. Rummage through those drawers. Okay. Oh, I mean, don't don't rummage. No, I, I mean, peruse. It's not a sock drawer. <sighs> okay. <laughs> You're so frustrated with me. <laughs> no, I'm frustrated with my sock drawer. It's a mess. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, the common ancestor of Dragon Man, Homo longi, and Homo sapiens 
probably lived around 950,000 years ago. Furthermore, it suggests that both species shared a common ancestor with Neanderthals earlier than that, about 1 million years ago, a little bit more than a million years ago. So we may have split from Neanderthals earlier than previously thought. So until now, Neanderthals were considered our closest relative. Debates about the evolution of modern humans and exactly what it is that makes us human therefore relied heavily on comparisons to Neanderthals because we like to figure out what we are by determining what we're not. And so this new discovery of Homo longi pushes Neanderthals one step further away from ourselves and makes simple comparisons between two species much less important to understanding what ultimately makes us who we are. Arguably, that was never the best way to do it in the first place. Wow. So there are still some major wrinkles in this model that need to be ironed out, which is, you know, this is why we're going to have to do another episode in two years. For example, this study proposes that there were Homo sapiens in Eurasia at about 400,000 years ago, but... The oldest fossil for this species known outside Africa is little more than half this age. At the same time, the split between Homo sapiens and Neanderthals predicted here at more than a million years old doesn't match the prediction of, of what you see um, in nuclear DNA analysis, which suggests that it happened much later, around 6,000 years ago. But that same prediction is backed up by doing DNA analysis with genetic material taken from the mitochondria. So that may mean something about movement of males versus females in early human populations, since for the most part, mitochondrial DNA is only passed down through the maternal line. So there's something funky going on with figuring out the timing of the various splits and what the DNA says from the nucleus of the cell versus the mitochondria and, and how to reconcile those things with the various ages of fossils that we have. So the Harbin Cranium tells another story about human evolution as a science and as an international discipline. Amber, I'm going to, I'm singing your song. Human evolution yeah. was originally a European area of interest focused on evidence from sites in Western and Central Europe. It's totally a product of the development of anthropology as a discipline and evolution as a principle. The discovery of fossils in Africa added huge time depth to the origins of the human lineage and led to a common story of the spread of new species out of Africa. The Harbin Cranium reminds us of the vast expanse of Asia. It's really big. There were lots of people living there for a very long time. And those fossils and, and Asian scientists are now coming to the fore, as we see from Luzon, Flores, and other emerging sites. So, wow, rewriting human evolution again, constantly. Ugh. So. Love it. Love to see it. And with that, we conclude our family introductions. Um, it's both a lot of information and not much information at all. Barely any. Which like, which like makes sense when we're talking about like hundreds of thousands of years mm -hmm. of billions of individuals. Oh, yeah. During that time. Bubba billions. Yep. For sure. Yeah, and, and all of these populations represented by just a the merest smattering of data. It's just like yeah. a finger. Like, yeah. think about trying to represent the variation that you see in all of the living Homo sapiens now, everyone on this planet, by just randomly selecting six individuals and then also just randomly selecting a few body parts from those individuals. And yeah, getting like, like a fragment of their toe bone and not preserving yeah, it Yeah, like well. what were they like? I don't know. They had toes. That's cool. Yep. 
Um, so if you're interested in taking a deeper dive into any of the research on the populations we talked about, check out the show notes over at thedirtpod.com and there will be plenty for you to browse and also yes. me to browse, I guess. Uh, show notes are thick this this week, but sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're just coming off of an episode that like I wrote, so that like people should be ready for beefy show notes. Beefy notes. So thank you everybody for listening. We will be back in your ears next week with a new episode. And until then, you can find our whole back catalog over at thedirtpod.com. And hey, go check out some of the other shows on the Archaeology Podcast Network too. Yeah, they're great. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find us while you're while you're on the internet. You can also find us on social media where we post archaeology and anthro stories, memes, show updates, and other stuff other stuff other stuff on there yeah um on facebook we're the dirt podcast on twitter we're at dirt podcast and on instagram we're at the dirt pod yep and all of that is on our website along with fun merchandise a syllabus of our compiled episodes for educators which oopsie daisies gotta update that a link to our patreon where you can support the show and a link to sponsor an episode of your very own on a topic of your choice and even more so much stuff. Go check more. it out. There's more out there. Yeah. Just like fossils, human ancestors. There's more out there. There's more out there. The X chromosome okay. files for mitochondrial DNA. Okay. Well, I tried. Thanks, everybody. We love you. Goodbye. Bye. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at arcpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.